The following sermon audio has been brought to you by Christ Church Downtown. For more information, go to Christkirk.com. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's rise and worship the triune God. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Psalm 105. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength, seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Lift up your hearts. O Father most high, whose dwelling place is beyond the heavens, O Lord incomparable, far beyond our loftiest thoughts, gather us together in the name of Jesus, whom the angels adore as the Son of the Most High, for his name is above every name. Lead us in our worship that all we do might be undertaken at your bidding, filled with your grace, directed by your wisdom, informed by your truth, and accomplished to your glory. Through Christ our Lord, whom with you and the Holy Spirit, O Father, we constantly bless and glorify, one eternal God, age after age, and amen. amen. Proverbs 10.7 reads, The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Or put another way, the name of the righteous is blessed in being remembered. There's fond memory of it, while the name of the wicked will perish, being ultimately forgotten. Now, one can think of many infamous and wicked men, such as Hitler, and ask them why their names live on, while countless missionaries or ordinary Christians who led many to the Lord in their lifetimes have been forgotten by their communities and even their families. Sure. But Hitler's name is rotting. It has the stench of death, and in the end will be judged by the Lord of the earth. And those nameless saints who labored without fame did so for the name above all names. This is the one name that has been remembered, the one name that will continue to spread, and the one name that will outlast them all. This is the name of Jesus. Like these precious saints, Jesus made himself of no reputation, of no name. And he did this in obedience to God, even to the point of death on the cross. Yet he did not see decay. His name did not rot. He was highly exalted by God and given the name that is above every name, that every knee would bow in heaven and on earth. And you, Christian, bear this name. So my exhortation to you this morning is this. Be devoted to the Lord. Labor to make his name known, and the Lord will bless the memory of your name among his people either in the memories of your children and grandchildren, or on that day when all will be revealed. Three decades after his death, John Wycliffe's name was still remembered, and his enemies dug up his bones, burned them, and tossed the ashes into the river. So Christian, again, I exhort you to leave a legacy of faith, laboring not for your own name, but for Christ's. Live life in such a way that wicked men will recognize the name etched in your tombstone and dig up your bones. Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. 
be my strong refuge, to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you this morning that far too often we spend our time and energy seeking recognition and honor for ourselves with no thought for your will and glory. And on the other hand, sometimes we abandon striving altogether, obeying our daily schedules of work and school with no mission at all other than the path of least resistance. Deliver us from both of these extremes, Father, and make us a people who work hard to make your name known in our families and our neighborhoods so that we may leave a legacy of faith for your glory. We trust that you are our strong refuge, our rock and our fortress, the one to whom we can run to for shelter and strength, the one who forgives us of all our sins. So we confess our individual sins to you now in Selah. Amen. Please rise for the assurance of pardon. Psalm 106, verse 1 to 3 reads, Praise the Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can declare all his praise? Blessed are those who keep justice and he who does righteousness at all times. Because of this good news of God's enduring mercy, your sins are forgiven through Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our sermon text comes from Philippians chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 4 and I'll read the rest of the chapter. These are the very words of our God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you 
a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. And the saints greet you, but especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And amen. amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our great God, pray now that you give us your spirit, even as we open up your word, that our hearts would be open to you. Pray that we would revel in your lordship, that you are over every detail of our lives, and that you are good to us. Father, I pray that this same Lord is the one who speaks to come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I pray that we will delight in this good news even now. We pray this in Christ's name, and amen. amen. Please be seated. I'd like to uh, begin by telling you a story about contentment. There was a family, Horatio and Anna Spafford, and they had uh, five kids, four girls, and one boy. The Spaffords were Christians, and they lived in Chicago during the 1860s or so. Grief first came to this family when their four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. And then about a year later, during the Great Chicago Fire, all of Horatio's uh, buildings, property, and so many of his businesses were burned down. And in the aftermath of this disaster, they, they planned a holiday to sail over uh, to England. But then, on, right before they were set sail, there was a business emergency uh, that came up that Horatio had to stay there, but not wanting to, to wreck the plans, he sent his wife and his four daughters on ahead, he would join them. And a few days later, he received the tragic news that their ship had collided with another boat and it had sank. 226 passengers dead. And the next day, Horatio received a telegram from his wife and said, survived alone. What shall I do? The next day, Horatio boarded a ship to join his wife. And in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, the captain called Horatio into the bridge. He said, the best reckoning that we have, we believe that this is where the ship sank. And gazing over the waters, the graves of his four precious daughters, Horatio Spafford began writing a poem. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roar, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Horatio Spafford, in the midst of the tears, the pain, the agony, this man displayed a strength 
beyond what a normal man, a normal husband, a normal father could have. Can you say this? Can the heralds say this? It is well. Why can this man say this? Because he has learned contentment in Christ. He has learned an incredible strength. In our sermon text, Paul, like Horatio, has learned that in whatever the situation is, to be content. He can say, it is well, because he has learned to have a deep satisfaction in the will of God, no matter the circumstance. Contentment is not just having a stiff upper lip or trying to numb yourself to the pain or shrugging your shoulders like, it doesn't really matter. Nor is contentment just plastering on a smiling face and saying, be happy. happy." That's not contentment either. Contentment comes from a tried and a tested conviction that God's story is the best story. God's story is the best story for you. And when a Christian learns to be content and has a deep satisfaction in God's will, in God's story, in God's will for you, that Christian gains great strength. A Christian content, even in the crisis, right? When everyone else is freaking out, when there's anxiety all around, when a Christian can be content in that, that is a strong Christian. So in our story, we're going to look at how Paul has learned this strong contentment. And then how we can learn this as well. Uh, learning contentment. And this is, the, this is the title of this sermon. And in full disclosure, I stole this from Nancy Wilson's wonderful book called Learning Contentment. So, um, can't impress, don't sue me here. Hopefully this is just some free marketing for your book. It really is a fantastic book. And so sprinkle that throughout this sermon. I'm, I'm taking some of the treasures that I found from uh, Nancy's book. Like one of the definitions of contentment. Contentment is a deep satisfaction in the will of God for you. I got that from Nancy. And she got that from her mother-in-law, Bessie Wilson. Right, so she, Nancy wrote this book for women. I am not a woman, and I read it, and it was fantastic. So I'd encourage you all uh, to get this book down at Canon, get it on Audible. It really is worth it. So we begin with Paul, who has learned to be content. And as he concludes his letter, Paul writes in verse 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So remember that the book of Philippians really is a thank you note that Paul is writing back to the Philippians because Epaphroditus had given them a gift, right? Some sort of financial aid. But Paul's not doing like this passive-aggressive guilt thing. It's like, Thank you guys for finally remembering me and helping me out here. It's like, 
where have you been the last two years? No, Paul is, he knows that the Philippians really do care deeply for him. And they have done, uh, but they didn't have the opportunity until now. But Paul also wants to make it clear that he is thankful, he is happy, but he is not good now because finally this gift has come. He wants them to know that he was good before the gift arrived. Verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. This is another one of those Paul's crazy statements. Everywhere and in all things, he has learned to be content. Just think about what were some of Paul's circumstances. We get one of these crazy lists of Paul's stories in uh, 2 Corinthians 11. And just imagine that if you had a contentment tank, right, and if you got this needle on the contentment tank that goes from empty contentment to full contentment, just imagine yourself that, that Paul's circumstances are your circumstances. And how content would you be if this was your situation? This is what Paul says. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rod. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in perils in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger, and thirst, and fasting often, and cold, and nakedness, and beside the other things which come upon me daily, like having to deal with all the churches. <laughs> Everywhere and in all things, he has learned to be content. Right? So if we go through that list, how's your contentment tank looking? <laughs> right? Could you be content in all of that? I just say, like, Paul is not normal. Right, this, this ain't normal right here. What's normal for us? We say, I'll be content when I'm done with finals. But right now, it is freakout mode, right? We've got finals coming up. It's time to freak out. And I'll be fine after that. But guess what? Three days into summertime, there's going to be something that you will be anxious about. It's probably even less than three days. Right? Or you say, I'll be happy when I buy a house. But think about how many miserable homeowners there are. Right? Or I'll finally be satisfied when I just get more sleep, or just feel better, or just get away from my parents, or just travel a little bit, or just get promoted, just get married, just, just, just. When things are just right just like for Goldilocks, right? You remember that story? That porridge was too hot, too cold, but then 
It was just right. Hate to break it to you, Goldilocks is a fairy tale. <laughs> right? You never get to that place where things are just right. right. There's always something wrong. But actually, if you think about it, there was one time in the history of humanity where things were just right. And there was still discontentment. Right, think back to Eve. She had a perfect life. She had a perfect husband. She had a perfect garden. She had uh, a perfect health. She had a perfect body. She had a perfect relationship with God. Her circumstances were totally perfect. But she was not content. She just wanted more than what she had. She became dissatisfied with what God had given to her and what God had not given to her. If only I had this. If I just had this fruit, then I'd be satisfied. Why doesn't God want me to be happy? Right? Doesn't he love me? He is so unkind. He is so cruel. But contentment is not based on what's going on in your life. You don't get content because of your circumstances. Contentment comes from a deep satisfaction in the God who is over all your life. You learn contentment when you learn about Jesus Christ. This is the first part of learning contentment. Contentment means knowing Jesus, resting in Jesus, being so completely sure of his goodness and love that you rest assured that his story is the best story. Jesus is the Lord over every detail of your life. And so every detail in your life is obeying your Lord. And so you can rest, be content, deeply satisfied right where God is has you. Paul says that God works all things for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Right? We read this, we know this, we know this verse, we read it, we hear it, and we need to learn to believe this. All things, all things, for God's glory, you're good. Right? We, we hear this, and we're just like, okay, I'm good with with some things. Right? I'm good with most things work for my good. Right? I just found $20 like, I, on, the, on the ground. Like, thank you, God, for that blessing. I can identify that as a good thing. Right? Free ice cream. Yes. Right? But all things, all things, what are some of the all things in your life that you have a hard time believing are for your good. Right? Maybe it was what happened to your parents back when you were a kid. Maybe it's this custody battle or this drama at work or the abuse or your grandpa's heart attack. All these things for his glory, for your good. We've got to say, I believe. Lord Jesus, help my unbelief. Right? Sometimes life hurts. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it makes your gut go flop. Sometimes it's disappointing and discouraging. 
And you may be thinking, what is God doing in my life? What's God doing? Because I sure would like to know. And if you are a Christian, you do know. If you are a Christian, you do know that God is making you into the image of Christ. That's what God is doing. He is making you like his son, Jesus. And remember who Jesus is. He is the Father's beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, totally satisfied. That's what God's doing. He is shaping you to be like his Son, Jesus. That means that everything that comes to us comes from God's fatherly hand who loves you. And this has got to be so encourage you. This has got to be a great comfort. God has got you right where you're at because he wants you there. It's on purpose. It's not an accident. God's got you right there because he wants you there. And Paul actually says that that means that you are to rejoice in the Lord always. And that means you don't complain. You don't grumble. You be content. So this is what we first learn how to be content. Right? You learn to be content by learning to trust God, to know Christ. Then, what's next? Okay. I know Christ. I trust him. Now what do I do? Here's the next thing. You grow where you're planted. You want to learn contentment, then you've got to grow where you're planted. And I have an object lesson on this. All right, so my dad and I uh, used to go on morning hikes, morning runs on the foothills of Wenatchee. So we would wake up at the crack of dawn, and we would hike up Saddle Rock. And then to make it a little more interesting, instead of just like going back down the hiking trail, we would go off into the bush. Right? We would go through the sagebrush, and you're like climbing boulders and going down rock slides and all of that. And there was also the other element of danger where there was free-range cows. And the cows themselves were not really the problem. It was the cow pies that you had to look out for. I remember this one time I was trucking along, and I stopped, and I looked back at my dad, and he's like trucking through, and he goes around one sagebrush full speed, and then there was just this massive cow pie. And he stepped in at full tilt, slipped up, and it was like the most glorious Charlie Brown that I've ever seen. Like to see your father horizontal and then just come down right on that cow pie. It's like, it's in there. Um, this was actually not my sermon illustration here. I'm just setting the scene for what's next. All right. So another time I was hiking with my dad. <laughs> and he pulled me over and he says, take a look at this. Okay. And it was this little flower. It was a purple flower. I think it was a lupin that was growing up and blossoming. And it was in the middle of a hardened, frisbee-sized cow pie. Okay. He says, look at that. Let that be a lesson to you. You grow where you're planted. Grow where you're planted. Right? Sometimes that means you're in the middle of a cow pie. What do you do? You grow exactly where God has planted you. 
That's what God has called you to do. That's where God has placed you. That's what you do. So sometimes you look around at your circumstances, and what does it look like? It looks like you're in the middle of this cow pie. What did you do? You grow right where God has planted you. An example of someone who did this, who grew where God had planted him, was Joseph. Right? Just think about his life. Man, talk about a stinking situation. Right? You got these brothers who betrayed you, right? And they're plotting, should we kill him or should we just sell him into slavery? Right? And they sold him into slavery. And what did he do? He grew where he was planted. Right? He was faithful and diligent and became the manager of Potiphar's whole house. But then he was wrongfully accused of raping a woman. And he was sent off into prison as an innocent man without committing a crime. What would you do? Right? He didn't have the sulks or the gripes. He did not become bitter. He was not. He grew where he was planted. He was faithful, excellent in prison, and he was content. Why could Joseph be content in prison? It was because the Lord was with him there. Genesis 39 says, And Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Right? The Lord was right there with Joseph. There in the pit. Right? And he blossomed right where he was at. Right? If you are in, in an unpleasant situation, before asking, how can I get out? How can I get out? Consider how you can be faithful right there. Right? God has got you here. He's got you there. You ask, what's my assignment? Contentment looks for your duties. How am I to obey right here? How am I to be faithful right now? Right? Maybe you got this new job, the construction site, and you're just... You're the grunt man. You're the gopher, right? You go for that. You go for this. You do the job. You get assigned the job that no one wants. What do you do? Be excellent. Work hard. Be cheerful. Don't complain. Right? Maybe you're working at McDonald's. Right? Don't be embarrassed. Be the best fry cooker there is. Right? Volunteer to go clean the bathrooms. Right? Don't, don't, have, don't gossip with other people. Don't have that bad attitude. Because right, one of our assignments is to be thankful. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Right? Acknowledge that God is God. He's got you right there. And God is good. He's got you there for a good reason. Okay? So when you are there, you're content, you're faithful, your heart is good with the Lord, right? Then you can talk to the butler, right? Then you can say, please, Mr. Butler, 
remember me when you get out of here because I really want to get out. You don't have to stay in that circumstance, but Christian, you are to be content in the Lord even in that circumstance. Because what would happen if Joseph just flopped? What would happen if Joseph just flaked? What if he was just like a terrible attitude? He didn't do anything. He would have missed the lesson that God was teaching him. He would have missed what God was preparing for him. What was he training him to do? He was training Joseph to be able to save hundreds, thousands, maybe even millions of lives by being a slave, by being a prisoner. He learned to be a manager in prison. He learned to be a manager in Potiphar's house. And because he joyfully learned to be content in that, then he was able to save Egypt, to save his family. Right? Grow where God has planted you. And when you, when you have a deep satisfaction in the will of God for you, there is a real kind of strength in contentment. When you are deeply satisfied in God's will for you, when you're not in crisis mode, when you're not freaking out all the time, you're strong. There is a kind of strength in that. And that's why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Love this verse, but this has to be one of the most abused verses in the Bible, right? We take this verse and make it about how amazingly awesome I can be, right? Here's this miraculous football catch or this miraculous bench press or this miraculous SAT score. But the context that Paul is talking about is a miraculous contentment that he has learned everywhere and in all things, right? What's the context here? He's saying, I can do all things in complete contentment through Christ who strengthens me to be content. Just think about it. What is more glorious? What's more glorious? A crazy football catch, bench pressing 300 pounds, or a mom with cancer who is content? No comparison. No comparison. Who's stronger? It is the one who can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. It is the one who has so many reasons to be anxious, but fights those thoughts and fears and doubts and cries out to her father, who doesn't complain but is faithful in loving her God, loving her people, Who is stronger? ESPN highlights got nothing on this. On a content Christian. We are content in Christ. When you are content in Christ, then you have the strength of Christ in you. And what kind of strength did Jesus Christ have? He had the strength to faithfully and joyfully obey God in every circumstance. Couldn't Jesus say, 
verses 11 and 12 of Philippians 4. Jesus could say, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And because Jesus did this, going all the way down to death and then all the way up to his throne in heaven, he has received power and glory and strength. And when you are content, when you are, have a deep satisfaction in Christ, then you have the strength of the sovereign of all creation. It's Christ in you gives you strength. So what is your garden of Gethsemane? What is your betrayal? What is your mocking? What is your pain? What is your cross? Christian, you can say in that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul has experienced this strength, right? He's felt the strength of Christ in him. And he also knows that one of the means that Christ's strength comes to him is through Christ's people, right? He is able to say, I am full because you guys, you Philippians, you have filled me up. Right? He says, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Right? He is full because Christians have filled him up. Right? So Christians, you help each other in contentment. Right? A church... Who has, who has learned, who teaches, who shares in the contentment of Christ as a strong church. Right? We can say, you can say, it is well because your brothers and your sisters are helping you to make it well. Right? Here's this meal. Here are these flowers. Here's this card. Let's go for a walk. Let's pray together. I'm entering into your circumstance. I am entering into your pain. Let me be the strength of Christ to you. Right? This reminds me of the story of Hugh, uh, Hugh Kramer and Nicholas Ridley as both of these men are being burnt alive at the stake. Latimer says, Be of good courage. Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day, by the grace of God, light such a candle that I trust shall never be put out. What is that? That is crazy strength. That is contentment in the Lord. That is what we are called to as brothers as sisters, as those who have found our contentment in Christ, and then we share that strength with others. Here's a conclusion. Contentment is a deep satisfaction in the will of God for you. Contentment is a deep satisfaction in the will of God for you. God put you right where you're at 
in your life. He is good, and he is doing good to us. He's got you right where he wants you. And the charge here is to see his hand, particularly in the difficulties, especially in the hard things, the disappointments. And if God gives us hard things, it's because we need them, and nothing else would do. Therefore, our response must not be discouragement or grumbling or bitterness. We must submit to God with thankfulness and joy. And if our assignment seems harder than others, if our trials seem longer than others, our response must be more joy, more gratitude, and an eagerness to learn more contentment. And we can learn contentment so that way we can sing with our brothers and our sisters. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows, like sea billows, roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of all comfort, the God of all mercies, who comforts us in our afflictions. Father, we lift up our brothers and our sisters in our, in our congregation, in our church, in our community, who are in difficult circumstances. Father, we pray specifically for them that they would not be anxious, that they would not turn to despair, but they would turn to your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would give them strength through Christ. Lord, give us knowledge, a compassion to be able to, to enter in. Father, I pray that we would be a content people and that in this contentment, we would know how to be strong people in Christ Jesus. We pray this all in the name of our Father. In the name of your son, and amen. Please be seated. So what do you do if you're on a boat and the storm clouds gather, the wind picks up, the waves start raging, and you're scared? Well, you put on your life jacket. Pastor Toby gave a great analogy, wrote a wonderful article. He says that the joy of the Lord is like the perfect life jacket for the storms of life. The joy of the Lord is like a life jacket. You zip it up, you buckle it, you even got like the buckle between your legs, you got the headrest. It's the perfect life jacket. But just because you have the life jacket on does not guarantee you don't get wet or you go under the water. In fact, you may go down, down, down under the surface. But the joy of the Lord goes down with you into the dark, always booing you up, always bringing you up to the light. You can be in the storm and plunging underwater for different reasons. Right? Sometimes there is sin that needs to be dealt with. And if you are holding on to a 25-pound boulder, that doesn't help you float. Right? Let that sin go. 
Sometimes the storm is from a relationship. Sometimes it's health-related. Sometimes you just don't know why you feel down. But know this. If you belong to Christ, then the joy of the Lord is securely fastened and cinched down on you. The joy of the Lord goes with you wherever you go. The joy of the Lord does not make you invincible from trouble or that you'll always feel happy or prevent you from getting dumped in over your head. But when the storm clouds come in and the waves go over your head, when you sink down into the dark, the joy of the Lord goes with you all the way down. And when you can't see which way's up, the Lord will always lift you up to his light. And when you get too tired, the Lord will carry you through the waves. And when you can't see the land, the Lord will finally bring you safely home. That is the joy of the Lord. And that is why the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the one who is your joy, your strength, your ever-present Savior, now says, come and welcome. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your son and the provision that he has given us now in the storms of life or in the sunshine. Thank you that he is ever-present, and with that we have joy. Father, I pray that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation, that we may taste and see even now how good, how joyous it is to be your people. We pray this in Christ's name, and amen. amen. So as Christians, we are all enrolled in a class of contentment, to learn contentment. And like any good class, you get tests to figure out what you know. And for this contentment class, most of these tests are pop quizzes. Right? You don't know when they're coming. You get that dead battery and the car won't stop. Start. <laughs> you get a pimple on picture day. Right? You miss the flight. Pop quizzes on contentment. What are you going to do? Right? Like, but how cool would it be if, if your teacher at Logos or NSA, homeschool, wherever, right? If you, when you get a pop quiz, you not only get open book, but you can also ask the teacher for help. Anything, right? That's what we have when we are enrolled in this class of contentment. When God gives you pop quizzes, he gives you the open book. You have the Bible, and you have access to the teacher. You can pray. What do I do here? What should I do now? How can I be faithful? Right? And you can know that your teacher loves you, and he wants you to learn the material. He wants you to be content. So the charge is to learn to be content and know that your teacher loves you and will help you all the way. Now receive with believing hearts Paul's benediction to the Philippian church. And now my God shall supply all your need according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.